Hi, I'm Stephen Crafty. I'm presenting Talking Design in Melbourne at RMIT University, and I'm here with two award-winning designers, Mark Simpson, who's an architect and interior designer, and uh, co-director of the practice, Damien Mulverhill of Design Office. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you. Congratulations on the award to start with. That was for Higher Ground, and it received top accolades from the Design Institute of Australia in the Hospitality, National Hospitality Award. So well done. Thank you. It's a pleasure that doesn't come along that often when those kind of spaces come along with a client with a, such an ambitious brief. So it's a great process. Maybe we'll come back to that in the moment, um, Mark. But you, you studied at the Robert Gordon University in Aberdeen and you met... Damien, who originally studied uh, interior design at the University of South Australia, you met in London. What brought you together? Similar tastes, similar ideas? <laughs> friends. friends. <laughs> Mutual friends. <laughs> um, we Mutual were... friends and a love of dancing, I think, <laughs> is actually the initial <laughs> spark. <laughs> um, yeah, we were working, we both worked at Allies and Morrison Architects in London. Oh, she's either. great. Um, so no, Allies, Allies and Morrison. Um, oh. So crossed over by, we sort of, yeah, we basically had mutual friends there and ended up at the same place at the same time. And design and dancing brought us, <laughs> had a shared co-passion. Ah, so you you are obviously from Australia already, Damien, yes. and Mark, a bit hesitant about coming to Australia initially? Um, no, it's one of those strange things. I think I, I'd lived in London for five years. Um, I had been to Australia in 2000, and I sort of realised I didn't want to live in London anymore, and realised all my favourite people in London were Australian. Australia was like, and suddenly found myself with a one-way ticket without really thinking about it. And everything just fell into place. <laughs> I love your story that you had a list of five cities that you were considering. <laughs> so then, what were the other five? Uh, Berlin was the Fact second place. Good, good choice. San Francisco, um, neither of which I'd, I'd never been there. Um, Stockholm, where else I was actually? Might have been Vancouver. Hamburg. Oh, Hamburg. Yes. Oh, great place. <laughs> Except for the weather. I know, yes. it was. Um, so it was one of those weird decisions in life that's turned out to be a very major decision that I don't remember even thinking about that much. It just suddenly happened and it's good. I find it interesting that people set up shop, so to speak, when, they, when they're designers. I think that must be quite a nerve-wracking experience. But you and Damien set up the design office in uh, 2008. It wasn't, it wasn't something that I ever planned as part of my career. The same reason I think this is quite a scary proposal. To mm -hmm. It's hard enough being a designer, let alone being a small business owner so, and running a business at so, the same time. So what made you think that you had something? We had a bit of a buffer in a way. I mean, I'm the same as Damien. I was actually always quite adamant. It was something I never imagined doing. Um, but we, we both worked together in London at a practice called Universal Design Studio. And we were part of the senior design team there. And I think it clicked for both of us as a studio approach that approached architecture, brand and interiors holistically. And I think we'd both been through experiences previously where people wanted to know which bit you were designing as opposed to looking at everything as an entity. And so when I initially moved to Melbourne, the practice in London said, why don't you just open an office in Melbourne? And that didn't happen for a couple of years. And basically the directors of Universal were in Sydney, by which time Damien was back in Sydney, mm -hmm. several bottle of wines and a decision to open a studio, which eventually became Design Office. 
well, how do you kind of... It's <laughs> a very short version. Mark, yes. Mark and Damien, how do you kind of start an office? I mean, you know, it's... you, don't, you Obviously, did you come with clients or did you... How do you start? I find that... We were very lucky that for the first year, few years we were the Melbourne studio of Universal Design Studio. So we came with a, with a portfolio of work from London uh, and they had a very strong expertise in retail design and exhibition design. And so for the first few years, we did focus on retail and exhibition. Through that company. Through, mm. through that company. And I think, you know, at the time we, we disliked the fact that many clients liked us because we were from London and that gave us a certain cachet where Australian, Australia can be quite outward looking. Yeah. Um, and we sort of disliked that, but it was immensely helpful for us in setting up a business for the first few years. And after two or three years, it really became about our own work that we had produced here yeah. that took the business to the next level. And Mark or Demi, mm. you know, when you said that, you know, you take a holistic approach, you design products, you design furniture, you design interiors. How do you actually bring that to the table? You know, when um, someone's coming for the first time. There's probably a couple of things. I mean, we, we definitely focus on space more than product or furniture. Um, I think for us, a big part of the process, and it is born from we both have a background in workplace design as well as in working with Universal with brands and with retailers. I think a lot of it for us comes from briefing and just being naturally inquisitive. So there's, we ask a lot of questions and we really like the problem solving part of design. So to look at every design challenge as a single individual holistic um, entity to respond to stops anything just being applied or referential and that I think is the interest that keeps our work so diverse and keeps us so interested in every project being different actually so is you don't know the solution until you ask a lot of questions and talk to people more and more and I think that that process of design we we talk about this a lot we really enjoy the process of getting things built it's not just about the end product the end product yeah um before we start talking about um, Higher Ground, which won several awards, I think it's interesting you do a, n a number of projects with um, Milieu. Mm -hmm. And I think he's an interesting developer, one they of Melbourne's are. finest, <laughs> and uh, very specific about what he's looking for. He's not looking for just generic cookie-made multi-res apartments. He's quite hands-on, and he's, he's really doing something quite different. So tell me about some of the things you've, you've done with Milieu. I think, I think it's a starting point. They really understand the brand and they, you know, wanted, they wanted to set up a brand and make sure that the quality of their projects were beyond. Some, some developers just want to sell apartments. Mm. Others, I mean, Milieu want to create beautiful spaces for people to live in. And that comes through in everything that we work with. And they really do care about the detail. Mm. And it's such a joy to work with someone who has a you know, shared project team approach to creating yeah. great spaces and not just worrying about selling products. So you've done a few apartments with well, Milieu. We started with, we, we worked on initially, and again, I think part of it came from our, our experience in terms of our interest in making spaces that actually are great to be in, but also our understanding of brand. So we've worked with them on the Peel apartment building, which DK are the architects for. So we developed an interior language that was not just about designing interiors. It was actually about developing something that gave them a personality as well to, to sort of adopt. And then that's followed through with that building into the whole occupant experience. So we're designing the wine bar, we're designing the lobby. It's all, we're thinking about who's going to live here and how are you going to live? And so from that, we're now working, which is really great, we're working on um, five new build houses in Fitzroy, which are a couple of months away from completion. Mm -hmm. And I think that 
project, which has been a really great project, has come about because um, they liked the way that we looked at space and the way that people might inhabit and actually care about how you how do you live in this? You know, they are all quite they're working quite hard as houses because there are pressures on space generally in terms of development. But to really work out how you live and think about that and then to turn that into a full new building has been a really great process. And it's been great for them to come on that journey and um, take us on it. Damien and Mark, you know, in terms of the fittings and fixtures, uh, do you develop certain products that you take through to other apartments or is each one like you started from scratch? I think we have some, we've set some principles up in terms of the way that's a great space to live. We're looking at trying to introducing mm-hmm. sort of day bed spaces into smaller areas, you know, what we call the home hub element in terms of a place to put your bills and collate digital technology into a, to a space so it has a and there's things like that that we've looked at that become joinery units mm-hmm. um the product area is more a focus of the london studio and we although we understand that process of refinement we don't sort of focus on that in in melbourne so it's not something that we we kind of really un- enjoyed being seeing that in the london studio and seeing them craft this perfect piece and architecture and design is so much different you do a set of drawings give it to a builder and really hope Mm-hmm. that it comes through it's kind of the yeah the building is yeah. the prototype unfortunately with some of the products mm. do you kind of take them to market afterwards or you just do them for individual apartments and then you walk away yeah they're not that we don't turn them into products there's yeah. not a it's it's really more of a traditional joinery as if something's a custom joinery solution so we don't develop and design product as mm-hmm. such whereas for example in the peel apartments part of the thinking around the kitchen design as opposed to a sort of conventional apartment kitchen was actually the majority of people living here in a small you know in a compact apartment probably are not using their oven and their stovetop morning and night so the design of those kitchens is actually based around the fact that a lot of people are having breakfast and going out at night to eat and that might be that you're cooking twice a week so actually we developed a system whereby the oven and the cooktop are concealed from view with a shutter so that actually you're not looking at your cooktop and feeling guilty when you yeah, go out. constantly. <laughs> and it's a bit of that sort of thinking of, actually, what's the lifestyle of the people living in these apartments in this location, you know, where it's amazingly serviced for food and drink, and, and there's a huge culture of eating out, and designing specifically to that. So in a way, they're not products, they're bespoke custom solutions for individual clients. Okay. Now, if we start looking at high ground, it's interesting, because when you walk in, it doesn't scream design. It's not one of the things that yes, great. It doesn't. Well, I'm being honest. <laughs> no, it doesn't it doesn't scream design. I wouldn't say it's faddish. It doesn't say a certain it's not a certain look. It's mm. obviously very popular for people who don't know it. It was a powerhouse uh power station mm. uh and in the in the Victorian period, uh eighteen sixty, eighteen seventy I think from memory, but it's been converted into a cafe, um, bar restaurant. But tell me about it, because I think there was an interesting story you told me that you didn't really, the owner wanted just a mesen, just to, to divide these soaring ceilings into two spaces and then do up and down stairs. But you waited, you actually got onto a series of scaffolds and adjust and saw the views and sight lines through it. So that was really yes. interesting. Um, should have put, put hmm? those photos. I know. <laughs> yeah, no, no, they're in my head. <laughs> oh, good. Um, no, it, and that was, I mean, it's it's really nice of you to say it doesn't feel designed. That's actually a compliment. I think we both. That's what we wanted it to just really. feel good. It doesn't want to feel like it's features now and it's no. It be could be any time. Um, but for us, when you walk in that space, 
the problem with it's a big floor area to just have one floor so there was obviously needs to be more than one level i think the problem we were worried about with having a ground floor and a mezzanine is you inherently come back to the situation of there's an upstairs do i go upstairs is upstairs over, just for overflow do i yeah. there's become you a separation it, is, is upstairs less cool and i don't really want to be i don't you know you go there and go, oh, i don't want the upstairs table because i want to be down you know this it sets up you a want to be part of, you want yeah. to be part of it and so it came about from actually um the windowsills are really high, so we're like actually sitting on the ground floor. You don't have a connection to the street, and also then sitting at the very top didn't have a connection to the ground floor if there's just two floors. So it actually became about how do we create a landscape of occupiable spaces that then have a scale which is intimate within a volume which is vast. And I think that's the phrase we probably used on that project is about designing in intimacy so that actually you can feel like you're in a space which is um, almost domestic scale but actually you turn around and look the other way and you're part of an experience and part of a big volume so the process we went through was what are the optimum relationships between you sitting at a chair somebody sitting near you at a stool uh, you know a member of wait staff standing on the other side of a low wall and all of those vertical dialogues and communication which is not just horizontal but is vertical so there are six levels from memory in the place and what's interesting is even if you're literally only a few feet away from the people on a lower level you're actually not aware of their presence i mean you're aware of their presence but you don't feel like you're part of that They're conversation part of that conversation yeah it's quite important in terms of getting the density of people but feeling that you're really sitting with a group of 15 or 20 people but really there are 150 people in the space but mm -hmm. you know and you're looking and being looked at by all those people but when you're in engrossing conversation you're very, it's a very small Contained. area. Yeah, mm. and it's, it's that, there is definitely the part of the client's brief was about it being a hotel lobby, well, a hotel with no rooms. And there is that sense of there are a lot of people who go there on their own, actually, as well as groups. And that sense of being part of a bigger entity, a lot of people go there and work or mm. go there in between meetings. And it's that sort of sense that the way you occupy a hotel lobby of being a part of something where there's movement and buzz. And actually, I'd hope it feels a little bit sexy as a space mm. as well. The way people move through it, there's this sort of, vertical and horizontal movement that kind of leads to this sense of anticipation and change. Because I think it's interesting, people who do work on their own or dine on their own, it is quite daunting going to a restaurant or a cafe or a bar and sitting there feeling, I've got no friends, Yes, um, so I'm special, really alone. There are spaces we designed which are purely designed for people on their own. You can eat quite easily, sit there as a couple, but they're you know, specifically designed to be comfortable for people on their own. Yep. Yeah. But the, just the idea of if you come and you're on level two and then you come back a few weeks later and you're on level five, you have quite a different experience. The way you walk up to that space is different than walking down. So there's a sort of a sense of a, a change of experience every time you go back. There's yeah. probably, it's it has um, sort of reference in our minds to probably one of our first sort of major project that's a really important one for both of us, which is when we did the staircase for Cult. And in both both projects, we created Cult a- Cult is a furniture, furniture showroom. Um, and in both of these projects, we created a landscape of levels. And at both of them at the opening night, everyone was on the top floor. And there's just that sense of knowing that circulation, you've got that we've got it right. Because so dealing with designing for intuit, the way people intuitively move, I think is really complicated, but interesting, in that you can't make people go upstairs or downstairs, you need to make it feel attractive and natural. And I think those two projects, in terms of the way we manipulated space have have a similarity in them. Because it is hard getting people to go upstairs. And there has to be something at the end of that journey. Yes. And it has to be worth their while. And if it's really just an empty space, you need to provide the intrigue and the curiosity for people to, to want to go up. And, that, and that, that was a brief from the client from Colt. They, they said, we don't really care what you do. We just want people to go upstairs. 
and that was one of the most simplest yes. and yeah. best briefs yeah. we've ever but it, seen. It sounds easy, but it's not easy because it's not just a staircase. No, it's, it's not it's, just it's a, a staircase. Of, I mean, there's a lot of psychology in what we do, and we're we, you know we've not. Um, I studied psychology of design as one of my classes at university, <laughs> but I'm not really a psychologist. But it's just that understanding design lines and intuition and the, you know how you create intrigue. Yeah. So with the cult showroom in Elizabeth Street, it's steel and uh, concrete, but you've created, again, a bit like higher ground, a series of levels. So it's not just one No, you walk trajectory. up four stairs, steps to what looks just like a furniture display platform. But that's the that's the part for you. Then you go up to another ten stairs, and then you go up another four stairs, and suddenly you've been shopping all the way. It's a shoppable stair, or and then suddenly you're on the next level. It's um, it's it's one of those. It's funny. It only kind of made sense to me in a slightly different way more recently. I finally went to an Adolf Loos house in Prague, having studied him through university, and now realizing how kind of important his work was on the way that we design. And it was great to suddenly finally go round um, the Muller house and go, okay, it's totally that process of landscapes and levels and designing space as a three-dimensional entity as opposed to designing floors floor mm. space because yes. it can or, or, or the, features the, yeah. the, the, <laughs> when you said psychology psychology and retail it is quite important you have to really excite the consumer and you have to really get in their mind and see how it's going to work because if you a, don't get people up to that second level half their store is just a failure yes yeah. i mean it's about the the shop front and then once you've grabbed them with the shop front what makes them come in and what makes them come past the first few meters and so there's we always talk about that customer journey and then there's a very different psychology for workplace about how do you make 300 people working together in a space feel like they've got a community of people and you know, every, every typology has its own sort of set of rules about what you're trying to achieve um so apart from you've done apartments quite extensively apartments retail fit outs Domestic, detached homes, not interested or just... for favourite clients. <laughs> Sorry, for, for favourite clients. We only really do it for people who we work with already or know. I think, and it's um, yeah, it's it's a, it's a certain. This is just a slightly different typology of work, and I think the we like to get into so much detail and interest. It's actually really interesting. We just it's not the core of what we do. Right. Um, whereas I think, and actually, the thing that connects probably commercial retail and hospitality with what we're particularly interested in is brand and it's actually about you know talking with someone particularly new clients and new brands and understanding who their client is who their who their customer is who their competition is what are they trying to establish what are their core values and designing to that um so hand-picked wines is a project we've recently just developed in sydney which was about creating a, a new physical space for a brand which didn't have any physical space they purely made wine and sold it through outlets, through outlets, mm-hmm. and through online. So this was about them having a wine bar and a retail offer, and an ex- a function space and an experience room. So a lot of the initial process was about understanding what they want to communicate through their spaces, because it suddenly gives their brand something tangible that people can latch onto and go and have charcuterie and a wine, and also shop for wine. But suddenly that brand becomes physical, and that's been a really it's a good example of how we often work with both retail and hospitality is this was designed to be a brand which will expand so they wanted to make sure that it was set up that way how, for people who don't know the wine or the you know the brand mm. of wine how did you kind of capture the essence of it in the interior was it the through the materials was it through the way you I think it's the planning and the materials. I mean, they're interesting. They have wineries all around the world, and they they have wineries where the best wine is produced for that variety. Mm -hmm. So the interesting thing with this project is it was an urban wine tasting Mm -hmm. offer 
they, they couldn't just go to one winery to taste all the wine because it came from every, all around the world. So it was about selecting a place to have a single urban wine tasting experience. And where is it? Uh, it's in Chippendale in, mm-hmm. in Sydney, in Kensington Street. But it did want to sort of slightly reference that kind of, not shed-like, but that kind of experience of going out to a winery and having that sort of regional quality of being not too, of being a sort of refined shed. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so the materials palette and the rawness of the space and the way that we've used the certain materials of the galvanised steel and the timber have come through in terms of trying to provide that winery experience. But it's also a bottle shop and you can also sit there and, and, and sit there in a wine bar. Um, now, you two have been working together for quite some time. Quite some time. <laughs> so um, do you kind of kind of anticipate what the other one's thinking or do you kind of specialise in different... Different. Sometimes we dress the same. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really bad idea. As you get older, it gets worse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think. I mean, I think that we're like we're. I mean, Mark is my best friend, mm. and we spend so much time together. Thank you. Yeah, thank goodness for that. And, <laughs> so, um, how do you approach we, your work? We have a very similar set of ideals. We have a very similar aesthetic. If if our staff ask us a question separately, we generally come up with the you know the same very similar <laughs> answer, which is very you know, which is thank goodness for that. Yes. Um, but we have we do have different skill sets in in different ways. But what's well, really the strengths of it, the strength of each? What? I don't think we. I think part of why it works and why it's so special is we don't think about it that much. If I'm honest, mm-hmm. somebody did um, actually it was the guys in London at Barbara Osgoby explained it to us in a way that I think kind of makes sense. Is that they said someone needs a, an accelerator and a brake, and you can swap those roles. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a bit of that is we they both know when to push each other or pull back and be each other's accelerator or brake mm-hmm. in design terms, but inherently. But we, but we don't just divide the the work by traditional. I do the concept, you do the you do the right. concept. We kind of share a lot of uh, practices. Mm. They kind of uh, they, the projects tend to go. You do one project, you oversee another one. You don't come together. In your case, it's both of you together. I mean, we normally every every project will start the briefing process, meet the client together. If it's a smaller project, one of us will maybe carve off and just do design review. So all all we know about is the is the fun design bits, but. The rest is in the mm. other person's head. For larger projects, we'll stay on all the way through, and we sort of keep that dialogue and discussion. I mean, the part of the reason we set up design offices is because working at larger practices, you become more senior, become more expensive. You don't get time to be on site and to really get down into the detail. And we like drawing details, going on site, speaking to builders, you know, doing the drawings on the wall with the builder to work out yeah. details. And in a larger practice, you can't do that. So for us, we don't just do the design and give it to our team. Um, we're really hands-on all the way through because we like that building process. Um, question for either of mm. you. How do you see the differences of working in Australia as opposed to London? Is it more difficult to get things what, get things done here? It's The level of build quality is definitely better in London. in London. And I think that's, you know, we got a lot of, when we did Liberty of London, we got joinery made you in Germany. You did Liberty of London? We, yeah, we did Your a project firm. Liberty of London, um, the downstairs just past the flower shop in the, in the under the main atrium. Yes. So we did a project in that where I, you know, flew to Germany to look at the German joinery and, and then they pulled it all apart and shipped it out, you know, brought it over in the, in the channel and, and it was, you could just could not have built that in Australia. It was just would not have been possible. And the money for the um, particularly for the arts, the arts exhibitions, the money that they would invest into designing the exhibitions was just Phenomenal. not possible in in Australia. So in that case, it's 
amazing, but I'm also not sure whether we could have set up design office mm. in London. Because think, the rents are so expensive. Yeah, and you can just you can just do yeah. things here. I think you the can... mentality is different. I think that's that's a, it's a totally the way I'd explain it as well. Actually, it's there's a I think both in terms of building and in terms of just doing stuff is there's just a bit more of a let's just do this attitude in Australia in terms of uh, setting up a business just was never crossed my mind in the UK and suddenly in Australia and like oh I could I could do this we could this it's all it's possible and I think a bit of that does come through in building the only thing I think we're in you know having been around as a studio for nearly 10 years you totally learn to cherish your little black book of the people who can make stuff really well and I think it's actually all about getting the right people making the right mm. things and when you don't know who's making it tailoring the design to that process a little bit um, Mark, just a small question do you think you could just lend me that little black book and I'll do a, and I'll do a, heavily a, guarded I'll do, a, I'll do a quick photocopy <laughs> it did take us five years I think to find yeah. the right metal worker the right timber and, and now that we have those we can we work very well mm. with them it makes and our life so much easier and, and, I then you... and i suppose when you have people like that you actually know what's possible yes. so you can actually design with a certain person in mind thinking mm. they can actually do it rather than oh i don't know if and it's part of the process i mean we spent a few hours yesterday with one of our favorite joiners um just you know it, and it was a collective design process. It wasn't us fully resolving something and putting it out there to see who wants to make it. It was actually sitting down with the person who we know is making it and who has much more technical knowledge about certain things than we do and working through that together, uh, you know, with pen and paper. And I think we're we're probably a bit old school that way. We'd still do, Damien and I still design by hand most of the time. And it's just, I think it's a bit of a sort of thinking hand process. Yeah. But 3D perspectives and I think and it's lovely. Drawings. I actually think to actually draw and write is you know and to put your thoughts it's on unfortunately paper is a, a becoming, it is disappearing we do encourage <laughs> yeah. all our staff to draw as much as possible i think the problem is they're so fast on the computers um but i think there is something the, the freedom of not making things perfect everything is perfect on the computer and of course mm. not everything is perfect on site or in the real world so starting with everything not being perfect opens your mind to possibilities that then you can work out later in the computer to yeah. try to make it rigid but just that, yeah, is it Ilsa Crawford's the thinking hand yes. comment about just just not knowing where you're going, but just thinking through it by drawing. And there's is... nothing in between your head and your hand. So it's, so it's a pure flow of what and you're working through. Last question. Any plans to set up an office in London? No. <laughs> no. We've, done, we've done a project in London. Yeah. We'd quite like to do another project in London. Which was We're... the project in London? for mud ceramics oh fantastic. so we work with them we've actually just finished their store in los angeles and they're just starting new york and actually we've done a few projects overseas and that's really great to be able to do i think we really like doing that i think we know that our our practice works because we're together and therefore there's we don't want other studios and actually i think melbourne works too um when you're designing a store for mud for example and you're designing a store in london or los mm. angeles does that kind of I know you're obviously trying to capture a brand, the mud mm. product, which is all made in Australia, but are you thinking that the people in LA and the people in London shop in a different way? Or is that just yes. in my... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, aesthetically, it's very... and it's, Mud is a very... I don't mean this in a bad an undesigned way. It's meant to be... It's very effortless. It's very purposely... Well, a bit like your undesigned. work. Yeah, yeah, so it's very... And because their product is so consistent, it, you can do that. But we totally understand that the way someone in LA shops completely differently from Fitzroy and even from Sydney. Mm. In um, what way? 
in LA, they just come in and scoop up $9,000 worth of dinner set for their country house. And in mm. Fitzroy, people come in and buy one little cup for a, for a and gift. They, and they lots walk, of people. And they walk around the block several times before Thinking they make about the it. Yeah. And, and even, I mean, it's, it's a good, it's an interesting project for us that's evolved. We've worked with Mud for seven years now, and Fitzroy was the first store we designed with them. And it's a small store. And we realized that it's, it's, it's a difficult product to shop. And people actually need what we've ended up calling the play table. And it's a space where people can put down product, try colors, try shapes before they make a decision because people do get overwhelmed with color let alone throwing ceramics and size into that so that process of shopping is similar in each space the process of purchasing i think is different as damien says in the states people tend to not leave the shop with as many things they tend to get it shipped mm -hmm. whereas in fitzroy there's a lot of people buying and taking things home with them yeah. look thanks so much for coming onto the program been Thank an you. absolute Thank pleasure you. having you on well done on all your awards and um and I like the fact that, you know, I mean, I was particularly taken with Higher Ground that it didn't scream of, of anything in particular. It didn't. It actually just had a really nice feel to it. That's and a it, great and accolade. It I is. I think it is. Well, it's kind of almost, it's not anti-design, but it, it's not faddish. We it's, want spaces to feel great. And I think that's why with restaurants, for example, acoustics and lighting are a huge part of that. You just want to feel good in an environment and not necessarily know why. Yeah, plus, <laughs> the design is not designing a feature wall or a feature. It's, it's mm. getting all those basics right, understanding the experience. And, and as you said, it's the psychology. The psychology. If you can get all those things right, then it doesn't matter if it's green or yeah. blue or timber. or. Well, look, thank you so much for coming on today. You've been Thanks, with uh, Mark Simpson and Damien Mulvihill. 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 <laughs> I've got it right the second time. Mulvihill. Um, directors of Design Office in Melbourne. Thanks so much for listening. You've been with Stephen Crafty, Talking Design at RMIT. Thanks so much for listening.